This morning's scripture reading will be read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, but because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those think that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who were their sake died and was raised. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. Is it on? There we go. Perfect. It's good to be together this morning. Appreciate the time that we've been able to spend in worship and those who have led us in our worship this morning. It's good to be back with you. I missed being with you last week, but appreciate Michael for stepping in and doing such a good job from the pulpit on kind of a short notice. Got to listen to two very powerful lessons about how life isn't fair. Something that we need to hear right now, something that was beneficial in my life, a blessing to me. Appreciate him and everything he does. I appreciate you. All of those who reached out to Leslie and I while we were in quarantine, texts and calls, we appreciate that so much. It's good to be a part of such a good family here at Seven Oaks. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you have your Bible and you'd like to follow along, we're going to be looking at just a couple of verses in verses 14 and 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. It's important for us to realize the motivations behind our decisions. As Christians, it's important, it's significant for us to understand why we do what we do. Reminds me of a story of a little boy who went into a store one day. He walked up to the sales clerk standing behind the counter and, at, and told him, I'm looking for a birthday present for my mom. Sales clerk said, okay, what, what do you have in mind? What are you looking for? He said, do you have any cookie jars? Sales clerk said, yeah, I, I have some cookie jars. So they went over to this really large table where there were all kinds of different cookie jars. Cookie jars of different sizes. They had all kinds of different patterns on the outside. The sales clerk took a step back as the little boy walked to the first jar. He picked up the lid, carefully sat it back down, and then scooted to the next one. Picked up the lid, sat it back down, moved on to the next one. And he did that until he had touched every single cookie jar on the table. When he got to the last one, he picked up the lid, sat the lid back down. And when he sat the lid back down, his face fell. The sales clerk could tell that there was something wrong with him, so he said, is, is everything okay? Is there anything else that I can help you with? The little boy asked, do you have any cookie jars that won't make any noise? Do you have any cookie jars to where when I pick up the lid and put it back down, it's going to be silent? Why did the little boy go into the store that day? Well, he said he was looking for a birthday present for his mother, but when you see what he was doing, when you see how he handled each individual cookie jar, and you see the question that he asked, it becomes very clear what his motivation was, doesn't it? 
Perhaps he was looking for a birthday present for his mom. But the motivation for doing that wasn't as pure. His motivation behind getting that birthday present for his mom, getting a cookie jar for her, was all about himself. He did that so that he could sneak some cookies without his mother noticing, so that he could open and close the jar without her hearing it. Pretty smart kid. It's important, it's significant for us to realize the motivations behind the decisions that we make. It's important for us to understand why we do what we do. That's true in a number of different areas in our lives, but it's especially true when it comes to our relationships with God. It's especially true when it comes to the kind of lives that we live on a daily basis for God. This morning we're returning to a series of lessons that we were looking at before the tornado happened. This morning we're returning back to the sermon series about having a passion for God, developing enthusiasm for spiritual things, having a fire in our hearts that burns for Jesus on a daily basis. We're continuing to talk about passion builders. In other words, we're asking the question, how can we build a passion for God? How can we build a passion for God that is stronger, a passion that is deeper, a passion that is healthier than where it is right now? How can we develop a fire in our hearts for Jesus that burns brighter and hotter for Him on a daily basis? I think in order to answer that question, we have to take a look below the surface. In order to answer that question, we need to think about our motivation. We need to think about why we do what we do. So this morning, let's, let's think about this question. Let's center our thoughts around the question you see up on the screen. What motivates us to build a passion for God? What is it that motivates you? What is it that motivates me to live every single day for Jesus? To live every single day with a fire in our hearts for Him? Let's consider a few different options. Number one, maybe sometimes we're motivated to build a passion for God because of personal gain. Maybe sometimes we're motivated by our own personal benefit. There was a lady one time who hired a couple of guys to come work in her yard. They were going to rake leaves and pick up sticks, just clean up the yard a little bit. Well, on the afternoon that those two men came to work in her yard, she was having a party. She was having a get-together in her home with a few of her friends. It just so happened that one of her friends looked out the window. And when she looked out the window, she saw one of the men. He was doing his job. He had a rake in his hands. He was raking some leaves into a big pile. But then when she saw the other man, he was leaping and jumping through the air so graciously. Like he was some kind of trained gymnast. She was so impressed by it that she turned to the whole group and said, y'all need to come look at this. You need to see what this man is doing here in the backyard. So they all gathered around the window and they all were impressed. One lady said, I I've never seen a man move that graciously. Look at how high he's jumping off the ground. That's amazing. Whenever he stopped, another lady said, I'd pay $100 for him to do that routine again. I'd pay $100 for him to do that performance again. It was just so impressive. So the owner of the home opened up the window. 
She yelled to the man who was closest, the man who was raking the leaves, and said, hey, do you think you could get your friend there to do that routine again? Do you think you could get him to perform all those leaps and jumps one more time? We have a lady in here who'd pay him $100 if he'd do it. The man raking the leaves got a grin on his face. He realized what had happened. He turned to his friend and said, Hey Fred, you think you'd step on that rake again for another $100? He said, I'd do anything for $100. So he went over to the rake that's sitting like you can see that the spikes were pointing up. He went over with his other foot. He stepped on that rake as hard as he could and there he went. Leaping and, and jumping through the air. I guess for him that day, two bloody feet was worth an extra hundred dollars. Do we ever have that kind of motivation when it comes to building a passion for God? Well, if I can perform well for God, He'll give me another hundred dollars. If I can build my passion for God up to this point, if I can get it up to this level, then God's going to pour out so many blessings in my life and I'm just not going to be able to contain everything that God gives to me. It makes me think about a story in John chapter 6. The first 14 verses is a story I'm sure we're familiar with. One of the only stories that's told in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the story where Jesus feeds more than 5,000 people with only five loaves and two fish. John 6 continues on to tell us what happens on the next day. The next day, after Jesus fed that multitude, the very same crowd were looking for Jesus. They were seeking Jesus. They wanted to spend more time with Jesus. When they finally found Him in John chapter 6 and verse 26, here's what Jesus said to them. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking Me. Jesus saw what they were doing on the outside, But that's not really what he was concerned with. That's not what he addresses in John chapter 6 and verse 26. They were seeking him, yes. But what's the motivation lying underneath that? Why were they seeking Jesus? He says, well, you're seeking me. It's not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. They were seeking Jesus. Shouldn't Jesus have just been content with that? Here's a group of more than 5,000 people people who were with him the day before now they're returning the next day shouldn't he have just been happy that they were there again jesus is not just looking at the outside he's looking at the motivation on the inside yes they were seeking jesus but it wasn't because they saw signs it wasn't because they saw the miracle that he performed the day before and were wanting to follow him. They were seeking Jesus, but it wasn't because they wanted a relationship with Jesus. It wasn't because they wanted to dedicate themselves to Jesus. They were seeking Jesus because they ate their fill of the loaves. They were seeking Jesus the next day because they thought Jesus would give them another meal. They thought Jesus could be their endless supply of bread and fish. He fed more than 5,000 with only five loaves and two fish the day before, if we just go to Him every day, we'll never have to worry about where another meal comes from. In other words, they're seeking Jesus for their own personal gain. They're seeking Jesus for their own personal benefit. Do we ever do that? Are we ever motivated to build a passion for God for the sake of our own personal gain? God, I'm passionate about You. And I live a life where I'm enthusiastic about spiritual things every single day because I want you to give fill in the blank. I'm passionate about you, God, because I really want you to give me this promotion. 
I really want you to help me get this raise or to get this specific grade at school. God, I'm, I'm passionate about you. I'm, I'm on fire for Jesus. I'm enthusiastic about spiritual things because I really want you to heal this person in my life who's sick, this person who I love, or I want you to continue to keep me healthy in the midst of all this sickness. God, I, I'm passionate about you because I want you to continue to bless me, to continue to rain out blessings in my life. I want to earn my spot in heaven one day. Number one, that's not the motivation that God wants us to have. Jesus makes it very clear when you read through John chapter 6 as a whole, we shouldn't be seeking after Him because of what He gives. We should be seeking after Him because of who He is. We shouldn't be seeking Jesus just to get stuff out of Jesus. We should be seeking after Jesus because we've fallen in love with Him. We've experienced how great He is, and that's why we return to Him time and time again. That's why we live lives that are so passionately dedicated to Him. Number two, even on our best day, we'll never deserve anything from God. Even on your best day, spiritually speaking, you'll never be able to earn anything from Him. And then number three, if you're motivated to build your passion for God out of personal gain, it's not going to last. When you read through John chapter 6, Jesus spends some time talking to them. Do you know what the multitude does? They turn around and they walk the other direction. If you're seeking God just so He'll pour out blessing in your life, what happens when those blessings don't come? What happens when you're not being blessed like you think you should be? You're going to have no problem turning around and leaving Jesus. It's a motivation that God doesn't want us to have and it's a motivation that's not going to last. It's not going to endure. Well, maybe sometimes we're motivated to build a passion for God, not out of personal gain, but out of obligation. It's not really something that I want to do, but it's something that I have to do. In 2015, the New England Patriots played the Seattle Seahawks in Super Bowl 49. At the time, the Seattle Seahawks had a running back named Marshawn Lynch. If you know anything about Marshawn Lynch, I think the word that we could use is interesting. He's a really interesting guy. He did a lot of interesting things. But one thing that's interesting about Marshawn Lynch is that he does not like to talk to the media. He did not like to talk to reporters. In the 2014-2015 NFL season, he was fined $150,000 by the NFL for refusing to answer the reporters' questions. So now they're in the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl media day is about to happen, and the NFL was afraid that was going to happen again. So they threatened Marshawn Lynch. They threatened to fine him another $500,000 if he didn't talk to the media on the Super Bowl media day. Well, Marshawn Lynch showed up. He talked to the reporters. He just didn't say what they wanted him to say 29 different times. In response to every single question they asked him, he said, I'm just here so I don't get fined. That's all that he said time and time again. I'm just here so I don't get fined. I'm just here so I don't get fined. He made it very clear that he didn't want to be there. He had to be there. It was an obligation that he had to meet, and if he didn't meet it, he was going to be fined half a million dollars. Are we ever motivated that way to build a passion for God? Are we ever motivated to build our passion for God, to develop a fire in our hearts for Jesus 
out of obligation? Where building your passion for God is like paying your taxes? Building your passion for God is like getting up to go to work or to go to school really early in the morning. It's not really what I want to do, but it's what I have to do. There's a lot of different Scriptures that come to mind, but one is John chapter 14 and verse 15, where Jesus says, if you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. Make no mistake about it, Jesus has given us commandments. And He expects us to keep them. Jesus has told us what to do, and He expects us to live in obedience to what He has commanded. But again, Jesus isn't just concerned with what we do on the outside. He's concerned with our motivation on the inside. He doesn't say, if you feel obligated, then keep My commandments. He doesn't say, because you have to, obey Me. Do what I've told you to do. He says, if you love Me then you'll keep My commandments. Jesus wants you to live in obedience to Him, not because you have to, but because you want to. It's not an obligation. It's a relationship that's defined by mutual love. Jesus loves me, and I've fallen in love with Jesus, and that's why I build my passion for Him. That's why I live in obedience to Him in everything that I do, every day that I see, and every person that I encounter. Spiritually speaking, you don't have to do anything. You're not obligated to do anything. God's given each one of us the freedom to choose. He's given each one of us free will. And what He wants more than anything else is for us to use our power to choose, to choose Him. He wants us to choose Him, not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we've fallen in love with Him. Because we've fallen in love with who He is and what He's done for us. And that's what motivates us to build our passion for Him. Sometimes we're motivated to build a passion for God out of personal gain. Maybe sometimes it's out of obligation. Maybe other times we're motivated to build a passion for God out of fear. I'm passionate for God because I'm scared to death of spending an eternity in hell. There was a horse jockey who was undefeated. He had an undefeated record. Every race that he was a part of, he was the favorite. And so a reporter asked him one time, how do you motivate the horses to run at that speed and to perform at that level every time that you compete? How do you win these races every time that you're a part of them? The horse jockey said it's actually quite simple. I lean over before the race starts and I whisper a little verse in the horse's ear. Roses are red, violets are blue, horses that lose are turned into glue. That'd motivate me. Would that motivate you? Run as fast as you could? Again, we have to think, do we ever have that kind of motivation when it comes to building a passion for God? Hey, why, why are you so passionate about God? Why do you live every day with a fire in your heart for Jesus? I'm scared to death of going to hell. I don't want to be in a place of eternal punishment. I don't want to be in a place where Jesus talks about in Mark chapter 9, a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. I don't want to spend an eternity separated from God. I'm scared to death of that. Now, let's take a couple steps back here. Should we be scared at the thought of spending an eternity in punishment? 
Should that scare should, should we be scared of the thought of spending an eternity separated from God? I think the answer to both of those questions is absolutely yes, we should. But should that be the sole motivation for why I'm passionate about God? Should a fear of hell be the sole motivation for why I live every day in obedience to Him? Remember what John says in 1 John 4 and verse 18. John says there's no fear in love. Well, that's the word we keep coming back to, isn't it? There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. What is John saying there? John is saying, if I build my passion for God and the sole motivation for that is a fear of hell, I haven't been perfected in love like I should be. I haven't been matured or perfected in love. He says there's no fear in love, but the perfect love casts out fear. When I'm afraid, I'm not thinking about mercy. I'm not thinking about grace. I'm thinking about punishment. And so when I'm afraid, John says, I haven't been perfected in love. If I build my passion for God because I'm afraid of going to hell, John says, I'm not as mature as a Christian as I should be. I have some growing that I need to do. I have some maturing that I need to do. So here's the question. What motivates us to build a passion for God? What should that motivation be? Is it personal gain? Is it obligation? Is it fear? I think Scripture teaches us that it's not. So what is it? Well, I think in our Scripture reading, in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15, Paul gives us a fourth option. And I think it's the right one. I think it's the one that God wants us to have. I think it's the one that honors Him the most. The love of Christ. What, what motivates us to build a passion for God? Here's what Paul is going to say. It's the love of Jesus. I mean, notice that with me one more time. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 14, he says the love of Christ controls us. The Greek word there for control, or maybe your translation uses the word compel, it literally means to hold something together. Like glue would hold two pieces of paper together. Paul, why are you so passionate about God? Why are you on fire for Jesus? Paul, what is it that controls your life? What is it that compels your ministry? When things are hard, when things are challenging, when things are difficult, Paul, what is it that holds your life together? Is it this sense of personal gain? Well, I'm going to serve Jesus so that I can get something out of Jesus? Is it obligation? Paul, are you doing this not because you want to, but because you have to? What does Paul say? Is it fear? Is it a fear of spending an eternity separated from God? Paul says it's none of that. For the love of Christ controls us. It's as if Paul asked the question, do you want to know why I'm so passionate? Do you want to know why my life looks the way that it does? Do you want to know why my ministry functions in the way that it does? Do you want to know why I'm on fire for Jesus every day that I live? Paul says, look at how much Jesus loves me. Look at the love that Jesus has for me. And look at the impact. Look at the difference that that love makes in my life. Well, what, what difference does it make? 
The love of Christ controls us. Why? He continues on, because we have concluded this. He says, this is the conclusion we've come to. This is what we've been persuaded of. The love of Christ controls us because we've come to this conclusion that one has died for all. Look at what Jesus was willing to do for us. It's what we remembered just a few minutes ago as we met around the table and, and we remembered the Lord. Jesus died for us. Jesus took our place. Jesus hung on the cross that should have been ours. Jesus went through the suffering that should have been ours. Jesus went through the mocking and the shame and the beating that should have been ours. He died not as a result of His own sin, but as a result of our sins. The things that we have said that are wrong. The things that we have done that are wrong. The love of Christ controls us. That's what motivates our passion for God. Why? Because look at what Jesus did. Jesus died for us. We said that has an impact on our life. What is it? He continues the end of verse 14. Therefore, all have died. Because Jesus died for us, we have the opportunity to be united with Him in His death. Because Jesus died for us, we have the opportunity to die to ourselves. It's like what Paul talks about in, in Ephesians chapter 4 or Romans chapter 6. We put to death that old man. Because Jesus gave His life for you, you're not who you used to be. You're not enslaved to your sin. You're not enslaved to those bad decisions that you made. You no longer have to feel guilty. You're no longer under the punishment of death. The love of Christ controls us because He died for us. And He died for us so that we might die to ourselves. Well, Paul, tell me a little bit more about that. Verse 15 explains it a little bit more. Puts it in different words. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus died for us so that we will die to ourselves. What does it look like practically? Jesus died for us so that we'll no longer live for us. Because Jesus died for me, my life is no longer about me. Because Jesus died for you, your life is no longer about you. It's no longer about what you want. Because Jesus gave His life for us, our lives are now about Him. It's not about me, it's about Him. It's not about what I want, but it's about what He has commanded. He died and was raised for our sake. What motivates us to build a passion for God? Here's what Paul says. The love of Christ is what controls us. The love of Christ is what holds our lives together when things get hard. Because look at what Jesus did for us. Look at the love that was outpoured in just that one act. He says in John 15, Greater love has no one than this, than that someone laid down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus died for us so that we have the opportunity to die to ourselves. Jesus died for us, and now my life isn't about me. My life is about Him. It's about living passionately and enthusiastically for the One who died and was raised for my sake and for your sake. Ultimately, the question we're thinking about is how can we do this? 
How can we build a passion for God that's deeper, that's stronger? How can we develop a fire in our hearts that burns brighter and hotter? To answer that question, we have to go beneath the surface. What motivates us to build a passion for God? What motivates you to build a passion for God? Is it personal gain? Are you passionate about God because you're looking to get something out of God? Is it obligation? Is, are, are you doing this because you have to, not really because you want to? Is it fear, a fear of hell? I, I'm scared to death of spending an eternity in punishment. Or is it alongside of the Apostle Paul? Are we able to stand alongside of him and to say what he said? The love of Christ is what controls me. That's what holds my life together. Jesus died for me. And now I'm going to live the rest of my life for Him. Does the love of Christ control you? Is the love of Christ what holds your life together right now? Is your life about you? Or is it about Him? If it's become about you, it doesn't have to stay that way. You can make that right this morning. Maybe you need to put Jesus on in baptism and to fully embrace His love. To allow His love in that moment to be to, to fill you by His Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about that in Romans chapter 5. We can also do that this morning. Maybe you like to study the Bible. We'd love to do that as well. Just let us know as together we stand and sing the song that Seth has selected.